Good day. You're listening to Free City Radio. This is the 150th edition of the show. I'm your host in Montreal, Stefan Christophe. On the edition today, I'm going to be sharing an interview with musician Andy Moore. Andy lives in Amsterdam and has been involved in many important music projects over the last decades. He played in the Dog-Faced Hermans in Scotland and is a member of legendary punk art activist collective The X. I spoke with Andy about his music, recent collaborations. Members of The X have been working with artists all over the world, including artists from Greece, uh, Ethiopia, and developing these very interesting cross-border collaborations that are not really rooted in this sort of old school idea of music of the world, but more about like direct creative creations between independent artists in different places. We talked about this. And also we talked about Andy's perspectives on Amsterdam today. The X as a group really comes out of the squatters movements in Amsterdam, the occupation of abandoned buildings that many artists and activists engaged in in the 70s, 80s and 90s. Some of those buildings were won and became artist cooperatives. Some of them weren't. This issue of gentrification and artists struggling for space in Amsterdam remains very important for artists, of course, in Amsterdam, but also all around the world. And this is really one of the focus points of our conversation, which obviously is an issue uh, that is global. So here's our exchange. Okay, so I think first of all, when we think about your music, uh, Andy, and your background in punk-oriented creative music, there's a lot of terms we could use, but um, I'll let you define that. But your recent collaborations have moved more towards uh, exploring different cultural intersections, artists um, internationally, uh, in Ethiopia, Greek artists, uh, different contexts. Can you talk a bit about that process, how how you sort of arrived where you are now and how it is building on the existing sort of um, background that you had in the scene in Amsterdam? Well, I mean, the background that I had didn't really start in Amsterdam. It started in Scotland um, when I was playing with Dogface Hermans. That's where my kind of real musical background began. And in the end, I think these explorations in to do with Greek music and Ethiopian music, that's to do with the music I've listened to all my life. The fact that I ended up playing in Dogface Hermans and The X, which were probably considered to be more like punk, post-punk bands, was to do with the time, that that was the the kind of sound that I was particularly excited and interested with, and it was also to do with the people that I met who, who were, wanted to play in that way, so we found a way. But that's a language that's n- not like... I mean, I'm, I'm not a... I'm not a punk. Well, I don't know, you know, I don't know what that means. I love I love that music from that time. And the way we, we play was sort of associated 
associated with it at the time, but over the years it's changed because all the members of the bands of both the X and Alpha Summers were interested in in music from all over the place. So that's probably why when I met Terry and we, he went to Ethiopia and we started um, exploring Ethiopian music, it was because I'd been listening to African music for 15 years before that. And the same with Yanis when I met Yanis. And I'd already been listening to Rembetica music for 10 years before I met him. So those are connections that happened really kind of organically and that's probably the best explanation for that. You said something that I think um, I would really like to build on when you said language. So punk is a language. There's often a conception that in music there's one language. Of course there is relationship between tones, scale structures. You mentioned Rebetica music, Ethiopian music. There is orientation of different scales. Um, and I think it's maybe interesting for people who maybe aren't aware um, to think about the ways that these different projects actually d visit totally different musical uh, vantage points in terms of language um, and, and sort of how to interact with those, between those spaces. When I started playing music, I didn't think of music as, as that I would play in a certain style. Um, and so maybe style is a better word than language, but for me, it is, it is language. It's like, it's a way of communicating. There are many people that don't listen to our music anymore because they don't think we're punk. So a lot of people that really love punk lost interest in what we were doing because we kind of moved away from that and some stayed. And then we had new people listening who connected. Um, and for me, it was, it was never... I never, I never started playing music and thought, I want to be a punk or I want to play punk. I just thought I want to play music. And I wanted to play it with this kind of energy that was inspired by punk. But um, it still is, but it's also inspired by free jazz, which is a kind of punk as well. And... and tons of music from everywhere that's cool thanks um so building on that could you talk a bit about your project with yanis um how it started what you're doing um yeah i mean it's something you've obviously given a lot more time to recently uh as shows are happening again post-pandemic i first discovered this style of music or this language um watching Channel 4, who made an amazing series of documentaries about Rambetica music. Um, I don't... Do I have to... Is it necessary to explain the, the, the style of music? Does that help? Um, it was Greek music that was um, played by Greek, Greek refugees who were living in Turkey, who were forcibly removed from Turkey, from Izmir, in, in the 20s when they split the, the country. The Christian Greeks were sent back to Greece and the Muslim Greeks stayed in Turkey. Um, they arrived at the port in Piraeus, which is um, just near Athens. And um, 
they had all this incredible music inside them that was also had Greek language but was very influenced by Turkish music and fueled by a lot of hash that they happened to be smoking there and probably heroin also. Um, and they started playing this music in the port to the people, the local people there. And people loved it. Also, the middle class people loved it. The, the kind of bourgeoisie class loved it. They used to go to these clubs because um, they loved to hear this music because it had so much um, integrity and it was very raw. And um, so it thrived, it really thrived, but kind of always underground. Um, and the first time I heard it was basically a British TV channel decided to make a documentary series about it. And as soon as we heard it, we... So I don't know, it was strange, because I was with uh, Colin, who's the bass player from Dogface Hermans. And when we heard this music, we just connected with it immediately. It just, we loved it. And it it's it, they're quite short songs, because they were recorded for seven-inch singles. The lot probably live they're they're performed much much longer and you have a solo and but um for the record they were these little three and a half minute songs which is like punk songs as well and beautiful catchy melodies quite melancholy um but with something also with a great energy and sort of positive side to it as well and um there was so many of them there's hundreds of them and like some of them are awful and some of them are fantastic. And I didn't understand the words to any of them. I didn't know what they were singing about, but I found the, the this kind of sort of sonic texture of it beautiful, very trance-like, and the, and the melody is fantastic. So we just started exploring it more and discovered what the lyrics were about, mostly about life in prison, life living... Um, as a refugee in Greece after you've come back from Turkey, which wasn't easy. Um, heroin addiction, hash, unrequited love, like just kind of bit blues style. And how that connected with the Yanni, I guess years later when I moved to Amsterdam, because I discovered all that when I was in Edinburgh, uh, I met Yanis, um, who was a Cypriot Greek musician, a composer from a very different world because I was playing with the X at that point but when I talked to him about Rambetica he knew the music and he was really kind of, he said, how do you know about that music? He was quite surprised and we just talked about it at first and kind of we played a few things to each other and then slowly we thought we had this idea to make a kind of try out to make our own versions of the songs now but with him playing violin and Oud, me playing guitar, and a Ukrainian guy from Odessa playing accordion. And it was kind of fun, but after two, two or three concerts, we just thought, well, yeah, we're not really doing anything with this music. They, pl they, pl they played it much better than us, and we're just kind of, I don't know, it felt like we were just dabbling with it, but really not um, going into it. So we sort of abandoned it. And then a few years later, after Yanni and I had been playing together as a duo where I was, he, I would play guitar and he would kind of live sample me. It was, as, it was as that technology was beginning to develop. Before live, there was a program called Lisa, which meant live sampling. So he would take my guitar sounds and kind of mess with them 
while we were playing live. And we got really, we had a few concerts playing like that and we really kind of got into that style of playing and we thought, why don't we try doing the Rambetica project in this format? So I sent him a collection of Rambetica songs that I liked and he sort of messed with them and created a sort of backing track. And then we did the same thing. He would do live sampling with my guitar. and So it sort of grew a bit organically from both those things. And um, the reason we're playing it again recently is because we just did a tour in Canada and we were invited to play and they actually asked us if we would be interested in playing the Rambetica set, which we hadn't played for a few years. And um, we agreed to it and it was, it was great to revisit it after, I think, three or four years we hadn't played it. So this project's origins in Amsterdam, I want to just talk with you a little bit about the city because I think, you know, from the time that you moved there and the time of the X till now, there's huge changes. And um, I'm just wondering if you could share a bit about sort of the lack thereof or the continued existence of cultural space where that type of exploration is possible because you were talking about sort of like jams you know with Yanis with other musicians there is also Ethiopian diasporic musicians there at various points many other communities of course and I think you know um, it's just interesting to sort of reflect on where things are at now um, and I was thinking about that also in relation to sort of the challenges around sustaining independent cultural spaces as cities get more expensive like how that actually has an effect on the space to explore in the ways that you were just describing it has changed but there are still these spaces um where you can explore and like i mean basically you're talking about laboratories where you can try stuff out you don't get paid for playing but you try stuff out and that exists still if you want to do that stuff you can still do it and there's, an, there's still an audience that come to check that stuff out. There's even a few laboratories where you get paid. So I think Amsterdam's special for that, because I don't know if all the cities are experiencing that, but I feel like Amsterdam still has that foundation. Um, there's a lot of young improvisers that are playing, and they're also playing across, across genres and stuff. Not, it's not like this closed system where you 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 stick to your own genre there is that as well of course but there's there are enough musicians that are trying out stuff um compared to 20 years ago there's not as many spaces as there were for sure um the reason how it worked with me and yanni is this um this scene called crack aloud which means what does that mean noise sound it was called crack aloud in the binister which means sort of noisy sound in the inner city and it was a series set up by Anne Leberge and a few other musicians where they invited musicians from like improvisers guitar players cello players to play with people who were just exploring electronic music in the beginnings when it was pre-Ableton live and all this when it was really pre people trying stuff like this Lisa live sampling and there was a couple of squats that were putting these gigs on so you had really strange combinations of musicians and that's also where I played with Yanni a couple of times 
and I played with this woman for London called Kath Matthews, who was one of the early, one of the first people to use Lisa, this um, live sampling technology, which was developed at Stein, which was a place in Amsterdam that was really, really like a center for developing electronic music, uh, electronic music, and that place is gone. And that's a shame because that was really a real lab where people could try stuff out. If you wanted, if you had an idea, you could go there and say, I want, I need this technology in order to do this. And there would be some geek guy there that would try and build it for you, which is fantastic. And they had money for that. And it's true that that, that on that level, it's gone. But on the level of musicians still sort of experimenting and trying stuff out together that still exists a lot in Amsterdam and also because it's really international there's musicians from all over the world here so that's quite healthy here for sure still I'd love to hear you um, share a little bit more about this idea of the laboratories where it's not about being quote-unquote professional or super um intentional in in terms of like following a certain script or a certain genre um i think sometimes musicians can get caught up in expectations of what shows could be and obviously some people listening to this program are going to be aware of the type of dynamics you're talking about but some people probably won't be right so um i'm just wondering if you could share a little bit more about that process and those types of spaces and why that's important for your own, why it's been important for your own work, but also uh, the importance of recognizing those sort of intimate exploratory spaces that are not necessarily about producing in a very specific way. Well, I think, like if you compare it to theater or dance, I really, I really had the feeling that in, in those worlds, you need the funding first, you need the money, because it's an expensive operation. So you need money, you need to get money to do research, and then you do the research, and then eventually you can get to a stage where you could um, do a performance, but even at that level, it's much more expensive to put on a theater production or a dance production, so you still need to get funding. So you're constantly working to get this money first. In music, you can go downstairs in our house and rehearse um, for almost nothing. And you, can, um, and you can create something that quite quickly you can perform live. And actually for me, performing live should happen as soon as possible because you don't I think you don't need to refine it too much in the rehearsal space I think you need you you create a kind of core idea in the rehearsal space and then you develop it live so it's a very different process I think um, and in this city that that's very possible and there's a lot of that happening where people are going into the rehearsal space to try things out and very quickly trying it out live because there are places where they can do that and where people are coming to check that out, and they want to see that. So that's very healthy. And I, I mean, I, I think there are other cities for sure where that's happening. Berlin, for sure. New York. I mean, there's Chicago. There, there are quite a few bigger cities where, and possibly smaller places as well. 
talking about that and how those spaces actually are essential for creating new musical ideas. Um, that it's not simply the conceptual, that it's also that sort of practice that you're talking about uh, where the experimentation is shared and um, also the sort of hum of the audience and the community space that exists, you know, that would maybe encourage a project like the one that you have with Yanis to go forward, even if it seems really out there, maybe at the beginning. Yeah, well, that, I have to say that the Amsterdam squat scene of the 80s and 90s have really, really given us those spaces because actually quite a few of those spaces where we can do that kind of experimentation without having to spend shitloads of money on rentals are these spaces that are either ex-squats, legalized squats, or they've managed to um, work out some kind of deal with the city so that it's cheaper to rehearse there. Most of the places that I rehearse in, including in the building I live in, are those kind of places. So that's really a unique thing about Amsterdam and the squat, squatting laws that existed in the in the 80s and 90s, and we've really benefited from that. We should, I mean, and we're really thankful for that also. In other countries and in other cities, it's not the same. I realize that you have to find spaces, whatever way people find spaces, the warehouses, but it's 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 true that it's easier here, and it's also why a lot of musicians are attracted to coming here. The problem is when they arrive here, they can find no spaces, but they can't find a bloody space to live because the housing prices and the rentals of places here has gone through the roof, as it has in every other big city. So that I mean that's a, a difficulty. So it's a great place to rehearse, but <laughs> it's not so easy to live here at, at the moment anyway. Well, I think that that maybe would be another question to consider. Uh, you know, and we just did a project in Montreal about that, is the effects of gentrification on the arts and musicians specifically, and what also musicians can do to engage with those questions. Um, talking with friends also in New York City, this is obviously a huge, huge problem that is on a whole nother scale in a place like New York. Um, Paris also would be something equivalent, uh, with the exception of a few boroughs, but still. Um, so in 2022, like post-pandemic, there has been no real shift in terms of like thinking critically about how another framework for living in urban centers that is not just about like mad real estate vibes <laughs> eating up the city is still not present. So as a musician, like, obviously you're talking about that with other people. Uh, a lot of people are in different cities. Uh, a lot of people feel also like they're talking about it, but aren't sort of sure, like, how to engage with that question. I, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts about where that's at for you, your community in Amsterdam, but also beyond any other conversations you've had. I'm not very optimistic at the moment about that. I feel lucky myself to do the environment I'm in here but I know that I'm really lucky and I know that these places are not um, popping up 
like it's not like we're seeing more places we're kind of relying on the places that were set up 10 15 years ago mostly probably there are some new places that i don't know about that i admit that but in general amsterdam's probably one of the easiest places for struggling artists and musicians still to operate and it's tough here also like because of what i said about people living here a lot of musicians have left because the rents are too high and they can't find a place so i'm actually concerned about it like on a on a sort of more on a worldwide scale I'm, i really worry and i think the pandemic you know we were kind of hoping that the pandemic everyone was saying a bit like this will change everything everything will be different after so we won't go back to the old structures but actually we have kind of i mean certain things have changed actually a lot of great places disappeared that just couldn't sustain themselves after the pandemic um i think we need something else i don't I'm not sure a pandemic was the the way we're going to solve our problems i think we need a real shift in people's way of looking at things again because the city's blocked there's thousands and thousands of wealthy people moving moving into the city a lot of companies settling on the outskirts and coming into the city so it's really not a city for us anymore we're kind of a very small percentage of people that are struggling and and the people that are coming in are not interested in what we're doing so we're kind of isolated here um and it's not like there's a city that we i think that i can go to where i'm going to find um and i also don't like that idea that everyone ends up going to one place then all the artists move to berlin or brussels that for me that's not a solution i think it has to work in every place but all the artists here who i work with their main concern is not that they can't make that they can't make um music or create stuff it's that they can't find a place to live or can't afford to live that seems to be a bigger concern at the moment and i'm i, I don't know i have no idea in what direction that's going um before when that happened before in the 80s in amsterdam when you had a serious amount of people looking for places to live and a lot of empty housing that's where the squat scene was launched from but to try that now i mean it's happening places are still getting squatted here but the the police are much more brutal the laws are different now we don't the squatters don't have anyone near as much rights as they used to so the whole atmosphere has changed it's a much kind of smaller number of people um i don't want to be pessimistic but somehow i can't really see uh, a kind of positive future that's going in at the moment that was a conversation with andy moore musician who's based in amsterdam he plays in the group the x thanks so much to andy for being on the program today this has been another edition of free city radio i'm your host stefan christoph in montreal geogiage we share a new episode every week and broadcast on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal on Wednesdays at 11 a.m., on Tuesdays at 1 p.m. on CGLO 1690 a.m. in Geogiage, also Montreal. 
we broadcast on CKUW at 8 a.m. on Tuesdays. That is 95.9 FM in Winnipeg, Treaty 1 territory of the Métis Nation. We broadcast on CFRC 11.30 on Wednesdays at 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario, and on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. on CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria, British Columbia. You can find us on Spotify and iTunes. Just look up Free City Radio. Our archives are at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. We'll go with an excerpt of some music from Andy Moore's band today. Here is a piece by The X. I'll talk to you next week, and thanks for listening. Tell a friend. Take care. (laughs) 